Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the Sports Virus Podcast, everybody. I'm Joe Castellano. Well, this week's guest is a play-by-play announcer for Westwood One and Fox, Kevin Kugler, who has been covering the NCAA tournament for Westwood One. He was just in Fort Worth, Texas, and I had a chance to catch up with him on Monday. Kevin, how are you? I know it's one of those things where you, you kind of have to exhale a little bit after all the work you just did uh, with all of those games, all of those names and teams uh, as you covered the tournament in Fort Worth. It's uh, Joe, it's good to be with you. And yeah, it's always a little bit of a crazy Monday where you kind of come down from the weekend of it's just nonstop. And you've been at so many of these tournaments. It's just go, 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 especially that first day. And then you just sort of, it's like getting on a treadmill that's set at a higher speed and you're just running to keep up for most of the time. And then when you get off that treadmill, either Sunday or Monday after the tournament, it takes a minute or two to get your bearings a little bit. That's kind of where I am today. I'm just catching my bearings before we get into the, uh, the next week of prep, which is of course for Chicago coming up this weekend for the second weekend of the tournament. Well, it's quite an undertaking. I mean, that first day when you've got four games in one day, that alone is exhausting to just think about. But the fact that you have to prepare for all of that with teams that you haven't seen, you know, it's players that you just don't know. Uh, it, it's massive when you think about the prep for it. So how difficult is it? How do, you, how do you go about your business in preparing for that? And have you learned anything along the way over the years? Yeah, you know, you, you do learn, and, and that's a good thing, because at the beginning, when you first start doing it, you, you want to cover every single angle, and how can I get every single story in? And you fast realize, especially on the radio side, that the stories, while you can slip them into play-by-play, and you can fit them in at a free-throw line, there's so many sponsor reads, and there's so many other things to do, that you try to make sure you get the basics of the story down, but you're really not going to have time to tell a long story. It isn't like baseball. That's the beauty of calling baseball games is that you can tell a story and you can weave it in and out of innings or pitches or at bats. And it gives you a little bit more of an opportunity to tell that story. But in basketball, obviously the pace of the game is so much different that you're flying up and down the floor. There's just not a lot of opportunities for that. So you learn a little bit to, to streamline your prep and you have to do that, especially if you have a Thursday, Saturday, like we did, we get our assignments of sight beforehand but we don't find out the teams any earlier than anybody else who's watching the selection show so sunday night i'm traveling back from the sec tournament and i find out who my eight teams are that i have to get ready for and then i leave tuesday because we have interviews on wednesday for the games on thursday so it's a very frenzied 48 hours of reading as much as you can learning as much as you can getting the basics down because that's the first step if you screw up a pronunciation of a name that's the basic stuff that people notice right away. If I don't tell this vast story about this person's life or their, 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 their hard times or whatever, I, you can probably be fine with that. But if I mispronounce their name, then you know I haven't done the prep. So those are the, you try to get the basics first and then grow from there. You've worked with several different partners uh, over the years. Now you have, have. Ro- Robbie Hummel. And when you're doing radio and basketball, and as you mentioned, sometimes it's a it's a fast pace, and your analyst wants to get in there, but it's different than television, where you can you know you can miss the basket and kind of catch up later. With radio, you're describing everything. So, how much of a challenge is it, especially when you have a new partner and somebody that you haven't worked with, to try to get that timing down? It's always a challenge because they have things they want to say, and they you know, look. Rob is 
terrific. And I've worked with Rob before and I've worked with him a lot on TV. And so we kind of take what we do on TV and translate it to radio, except I talk more on the radio than he does. And (laughs) he talks more on TV likely than I do. Uh, But it's, it's just one of those, it's one of those checks and balances that you have to have with any partner. You figure out what you need to do, and then they hopefully learn to fit in around you because radio is a play-by-play medium and television is an analyst medium. And so for radio, I I have to do the bulk of the work. I have to make sure people know where the ball is and what the score is and how much time is left and who's got timeouts and who all the stuff you see on the score bug. I can't, I can't put, I can't put a score bug up on radio. So I have to be able to say, here's all of that information that you normally get from a graphic on television. And then the, the analyst has to fit around that. So it's just, it's one of those give and takes and it always takes a little time, especially with a new analyst. They learn how to do it. You learn how to work around them. And usually I always say it takes about a half for an analyst and a play-by-play guy on radio to start feeling like maybe they've found a little bit of a rhythm. Fortunately on a day like Thursday or Friday, the NCAA tournament, you have eight halves at least. We had nine because we had an overtime game. Uh, so we had a lot of extra time to figure out how to fit. And we'd done it before, so that made it a little bit easier. But when it's a new analyst, it takes some time. It's, it's just a it's a dance that you have to learn the steps and you know who's going to lead, who's going to follow, and, and how do you weave that in. You know, it's also very fascinating to me how announcers do a great job of switching back and forth between television and radio. And you do a great job of that, Kevin Harlan, as well. I was always admiring Vin Scully because he would do it within the same game where he'd be on the radio for three innings and then jump over to television. It's a totally different medium. So how do you do that? I mean, you, you've done it before uh, during a season like in the NFL where you're doing you know, television and then all of a sudden you're doing radio and you have to have a different mindset. You, you do. It's, uh, to me, it's a different craft in a lot of ways. Uh, and it's not to say that play-by-play is so much different, but it is a different thing when you're doing radio because you're just required to do more. There's just more involved in what you're doing on radio play-by-play than there is television play-by-play. And that's something I've, I'm still, I feel like I'm continuing to learn how to do television play-by-play. The bulk of my work prior to 2013, 2012 was radio. I mean, that was what I did all my play-by-play on and then moved more into the TV world at that time. And it's still to me, I mean, all these years later, uh, it's, it's a challenge. It's because the, the instinct still for me is radio, talk, say words, do things, right. say things. <laughs> and, and you can't, you can't necessarily do that on TV. That's, that's not what is required of you. It's not what's wanted of you. And so you learn to change your style a little bit for the TV broadcast versus the radio broadcast. At least I have to try to accommodate the differing medium. Uh, it, it's it's a challenge each way, and I love both. Although any play-by-play guy will tell you that radio is it's it's my passion. I mean, I love doing radio play-by-play. I very much enjoy doing TV as well. But radio is just such a fun art. Every single time you can paint a different picture on radio, and that's the challenge for radio. TV is a differing medium. It's still very fun, and I still very much enjoy doing it. But, man, I, I, you do love radio play-by-play just because, like I said earlier, play-by-play on the radio. That Radio is a play-by-play guy's medium, and television is more of an analyst medium. You know, I'm curious, when you're doing a big event, how much are you cognizant of the fact that the highlights are such a big deal? You know what I mean? Like, I, I'm driving back from the airport on Saturday. I was lucky to get back from San Antonio, and I'm listening to the postgame show with Jason Horowitz. 
And uh, it was, you know, great to hear those highlights. But I wonder as an announcer, uh, you know, how much you think about it because you know the big moment is coming. I mean, you've got a, a Baylor comeback and an incredible game against North Carolina, which I want to talk about. But, you know, you've got this great call that you made, you know, the, the champs are back, something like that. And, uh, you know, you, you have that going. Uh, how much do you think about, hey, this needs to really be on point? Um, I don't know that you really think about it as much. Um, it's just sort of, you just have to understand the moment, I think. Um, you know, I, I, I would I would say I, I think about it during the game. I really don't. It's just one of those things where you know a big moment is happening. You know, you're not going to, you're not going to sell out on a call with 832 to go in the first half of a three pointer that makes it 21 to 18. That's, <laughs> you, you need to have something for the end of the game or for the end of the moment that you can really punch it. Um, if you're selling out that early, you're not, it's not going to sound any different. So that's the one thing I'm more cognizant of than anything else is how, how do I balance? And that's something I continue to learn too. How do I balance an exciting play in the first half? versus an exciting play in the second half. And sometimes you realize that the highlight may come in the first half. If it's Kansas versus Texas Southern, the highlight might be in the first half. And so you punch it a little bit more because it's a big moment that that broke the game open. And you know there's a pretty strong likelihood that you're not going to see a 20-point comeback for a Texas Southern team. No offense to the folks from Texas Southern, but that's, that's that's a different beast that you're playing there with the Kansas Jayhawks. So you maybe punch it a little bit more in the first half. So I'm more cognizant of that then I am, okay, I've got to hit this highlight. i got to ramp it up for this. You just know the moment is a moment, or at least you hope you do, and sometimes you don't. Sometimes it's sometimes what you think is a moment isn't a moment. Like a Marcus Page shot a few years ago in a national championship game that you think is the moment, only to find that the real moment was three seconds later when another three goes down and Villanova actually wins the national championship. <laughs> so those, those kind of things, you're like, there's a moment. Oh, no, that moment's over there. And so you have to kind of turn your attention very quickly. Those are rare. But to me, it's not so much of, I've got to make sure I have the words and I got to think about this highlight and what am I going to say? Because there's no way you can come up with any of it that, and it's obviously you can't, I couldn't script anything for a, for a game. I mean, you're not walking into a game going, okay, if there's a 25 point comeback by a team in the second half, I'm going to say this pithy phrase and hope that it catches on (laughs) that you can't do anything like that. So you just have to hope that your brain's working that day after all these games and, uh, and you come up with something that fits the moment well. And sometimes you do and sometimes you don't. I mean, I think that's the beauty of play-by-play, too, is that there really is no script. I mean, how can you even figure that you've got a 25-point lead for North Carolina and that Baylor would come back and send that game to overtime? I mean, there has never been a blown lead uh, like that for a win. I mean, there's only been one other one. But uh, to do it in overtime and everything, that that would have been history right there, uh, tying history anyway. Uh, So, I mean, it's one of those things where, I mean, a lot of people just think the game is over, but you can't think that way. No, you can't. And, and sometimes it's human nature. You relax a little bit in those games where you sit there and you think, okay, well, 25-point game. And, and that game, that North Carolina-Baylor game, was about three minutes away, game time, not real actual human time, but game time from being over. I mean, if that got to six or seven minutes and it was 25 points, then you start to go into more storytelling mode, more you know, big picture mode, here's what's happening, North Carolina, blah, 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 you know, talk about them and the turnaround of their season. But then the game dictated where we went with that, obviously. So that that goes out the window. And with the Brady Manic ejection, that changed the entirety of that game. And it was one of the things we said on the air that often in a game, 
it's difficult to say this was exactly the turning point in the game, but we knew where it was in that game. It was so obvious, and so it gave us a good mile marker to be able to continually go back to to tell the story of what was happening. So it just it's it's a it was a fascinating game to call because you just don't know, and that's that, that's why the moments are so cool is that you don't know when or how those moments are going to develop. And this this tournament seems to provide more moments than almost any other sporting event I do. Uh, there's just always some sort of moment where you get the chance to to describe it or make a call that's that's kind of cool. And and that's that's one of the that's one of the beauties of March Madness is that it really does give those of us who call games a chance to see some really cool moments and get the chance to describe them to people who like on our audience can't see what's happening because they're driving around or they're listening on the radio because they can't whatever. I mean, I don't know why they're listening. I'm just glad they are. (laughs) You know, it's funny because there's just so much passion involved. I mean, when you're watching your school and the season's on the line and then there's a bad call, let's say uh, there are fans that get pretty hyped up about that. Now you have to remain professional. And I noticed on Twitter that you were, you were kind of, you know, pointing out that you're getting uh, some fans that want you to call out officials on poor calls, which of course is impossible for a professional announcer. No, I mean, I know, I know fans want that. And I know fans, look, I am a fan of sport and I, and I've, I've heard from play by play guys before who don't believe you can be a fan anymore. And while I agree, you can't be a fan of a specific team. Like I don't, I don't go into an NFL game and go, boy, when I was a kid, I loved that team. So I'm still going to root for them. That, those, those days are gone. I, I root for, I root for a good game. That's and, and on time flights. That's always what we root for when we do these things. But when you're, but when you're a fan, and I get it. You want the broadcaster because you listen so much to the, your team broadcaster and your team broadcaster is going to say things like, well, they missed that travel. They missed that hold. I can't believe they didn't call that pass interference. I can't believe they didn't call a charge. <laughs> and so you, you expect that and become accustomed to that. And I, and I get it. You want the guy who's, you're listening to this game and you would love for that guy to be as outraged as you are, or that woman who's calling the game to be as outraged as you are about what's happening to your team. But fans have to understand that when we're calling these games, whether it's Brian Anderson on the TV side or Jim Nance or Kevin Kugler or Dave Pash or name your announcer who's calling this on a national level, you're not emotionally invested in it like a fan is. I am not emotionally invested in North Carolina Baylor. I have no dog in the fight. I'm excited to see a moment, and I will convey that excitement because, to me, the moments are exciting and, and they deserve those moments. It's the most important thing that those 10 players on the floor are doing at that moment in their lives. It deserves a passionate call. And I will give it that always. But when, and you know, then your voice kind of takes the wear and tear out a couple of days later after you've done that, but you're, that's what's, that's what's owed the fan. Uh, but me saying repeatedly, oh, these officials are screwing this up isn't going to change a thing that's going on on the floor. And it's just, it, it, uh, to me anyway, it's, it's unsavory. Maybe somebody else likes that and that's their style and that's great. But that's not my job as a play-by-play guy. My job as a play-by-play guy is to convey the excitement, describe the action, and let you know what's going on in the game. And, you know, if my analyst wants to go all in on how awful the refs are <laughs> in any given moment, feel free. I, I'm, but that doesn't happen a lot. If you watch the TV broadcast, you didn't hear that from – Jim Nance, Bill Rafter, Grant, you just don't hear that. It's not a thing that is normally done. It's reserved usually for studio analysts and others. Occasionally, 
someone will weigh in, but it's rare. Yeah, no, I, I agree with the way that you're doing it. Now, when you get to this point in the tournament and you're at the Sweet 16, you've got your Cinderella stories like St. Peter's, and you know people like to root for that. But at the same time, uh, you know it seems like the networks will be rooting for some of the Blue Bloods to make it. So when a team like Kentucky is knocked out, there's got to be a little bit of disappointment. What do you like to see, and what does it say about the tournament that you've got kind of a mix where you do have some of the favorites that are still alive, like a Gonzaga or Arizona or Duke, but you have the upstart, like I said, St. Peter's, or you've got Miami still alive and Iowa State. I like the mix. I really do. I, and I understand that because we've always, you know, you look at ratings and sometimes like for George Mason to make a run at the final four in 2006, that, that didn't exactly provide the ratings that you would hope it would for a network when you're a, you know, when you're televising and paying millions and millions of dollars to have this on, you want the ratings that come with it. And sometimes those Cinderella stories are cool in the first couple rounds, but by the time you get later, your goal is to attract the casual fan. Well, there's a limited number of casual fans for George Mason. There's, there's a lot more casual fans who will say, ooh, UCLA, I know them, or ooh, North Carolina, I recognize them. Kansas, that's the team I always see in the tournament. I'm going to watch what Kansas does here. So when you get to the later stages of the tournament from a rating standpoint, you're trying to draw in the casual fan. What draws the casual fan is the name that the casual fan knows. All of us who are hardcore basketball fans, we're staying up late at night to watch Arizona play t- TCU. We're not going to bed but the casual fan went to bed two hours before that game ended on Sunday night. They weren't paying any attention to that, but they're going to be up for the national championship game. When there's big names in there, they, 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 they watch more. They tend to pay more attention. Um, but as a fan of basketball, I love the fact that we have St. Peter's as a story to tell. I love the fact that I'm in Chicago this week. Iowa State-Miami is not the matchup I expected to see. I assumed I would see Auburn and Wisconsin. Both of those teams had played well for the most part of the season. Both are power schools. Wisconsin, the co-champions. Auburn had a great year in the SEC. I I thought that was going to be a big thing. Obviously, it's not. So now we get to tell the story of T.J. Otzelberger and Iowa State and how they've used defense against all their high-major competition this year outside of the Big 12 to propel from a two-win season to the Sweet 16, how you can talk about Miami remaking themselves as the season went along because that's what the roster dictated for this team and how they could be the most successful. We get to tell a story of Jim Laranega again bringing, and I, you know, Miami's not the underdog George Mason was when he took them to the Final Four, but they're still an underdog. And so you get to tell that story. One of those double-digit seeds is going to the Elite Eight. We know that for certain, and they're going to run into either a Providence team that was a champion of the Big East or a Kansas team that was a champion of the Big 12. I, it's, it's the ultimate great story to tell, and that's what makes the tournament so great. But yeah, if you're sitting in a boardroom at CBS and Turner, I, I promise you they're crossing their fingers for Kansas to come out of Chicago. <laughs> that's the best possible scenario for them on TV. doesn't mean they're not going to televise it, but it just means from a rating standpoint, Kansas is going to bring casual, more casual eyes to the broadcast. And I've heard some experts say that this is not one of the best teams that Bill Self has had at Kansas, yet here he is in the Sweet 16. I mean, I guess that says something about Bill Self. I would agree, and I think Bill Self would be the one to tell you, too, that this is not one of the most talented teams that he's brought through the tournament. They're good. Ochai Abaji is as good as anybody in the country. Remy Martin is playing better right now than he has at any point in a Kansas uniform. Christian Brown is a solid, solid player. I mean, you've got, you've got some talent on this team. But I don't know that he would ever say this is one of his best teams. I mean, it's, it's, it's a good offensive team. They led the Big 12 in scoring. 
but their average is the eighth best scoring average in the Bill Self era of 19 years. So while it's a top Big 12 offense this year, it's barely a top half offense in the Bill Self era. So it's, it's just not a, it's not an overwhelming team, but it's a really good team. And you'll go up against a Providence team that is a good, gritty, tough, together group. That's a really interesting matchup on Friday in Chicago. But yeah, Bill Self is, is, I mean, look, he's one of the best coaches in the history of the game. He's in the Hall of Fame for a reason. They don't put those guys in the Hall of Fame while they're still coaching if they're not pretty good. And Bill Self's pretty good. And he's got a team in the Sweet 16 again. And Kansas is here again. And they're the favorites. I, I don't know that they're going to get past Providence. I don't know if they're going to get through either Iowa State or Miami. But going into Chicago, by virtue of being the number one seed, by virtue of being a, a terrific offensive team, they're the favorites going into Chicago. We'll see if that's how it plays out because – you know, look, I, I don't know that Baylor wouldn't have been the favorite to get out of Fort Worth, Texas this past weekend. And Baylor got out of Fort Worth, Texas, but to only go home to go to Waco. Yeah, exactly. Great matchups there. All right. To finish up, I just wanted to uh, go back to the beginnings of your career. Because as I mentioned, I met you in Omaha doing the College World Series. You were, you know, doing sideline reporting and it's gone from there. I mean, just tell us about when you were growing up. Uh, this is, a, I, I imagine this is the dream come true. But when did you want to start doing this and how did you start doing it? Um, well, you know, it's interesting. I, I always wanted to be a sports agent, um, which, oh. because I, yeah, look, I, I was a, I was a kid who loved sports. I always had a brain that was decent for sports, but I never was blessed with the athleticism that would carry me past when, you know, breaking balls started to get thrown <laughs> in little league and the ball starts moving. You're like, Oh crap, that's not straight anymore. What am I supposed to do with that? Um, so that was where, you know, I, I ran track in high school, not because I was, the speediest of guys, you know, they put me in the middle distances, which is where you're, you're not quite in, you don't have the endurance to do the long runs and you don't have the sprinter speed to do the sprint. So let's just put you in middle distance and see if you don't fall down over a couple of laps. So that's what I did. Um, so there was, there was always a ceiling to my athletic abilities, but I love sports and I wanted to figure out a way to stay in it. And I went into the business school to try to become a sports agent, found out very quickly. I didn't like that. So I shifted into broadcasting because, you know, I, I mean, I always, that was another thing I always enjoyed was watching sports, listening to broadcasters. My mom would always say, you say the same thing the broadcaster says right before he says it. You should think about that. <laughs> so I went in, I, so I went into that and, and sure enough, um, I, you know, it was, it was something I very much enjoyed. I found my passion a little bit later than some, you know, I was not one of those kids who at the age of six was, you know, calling mock games into my portable tape recorder because I just, I, I, I didn't know that's where I was going to end up. And then I got into it in college and, and just absolutely fell in love with it. And you know how it is. I mean, once you get the itch, it's hard to get rid of it. Once that passion sinks into you, it's hard to figure out anything else. And I am, and I have learned over the years, I have no other discernible skills. I, I don't know what, when sports shut down in March of 2020 to August of 2020, I mean, that's as panicked as I've ever been as an adult. Cause I'm thinking, what in the world am I going to do? I don't have anything to offer anyone. I can't, I, 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 I can't be an accountant. I'm not going to be an attorney. I clearly, you know, I can't do a cubicle. I've been in my own office for however many years now doing my own thing. I can't possibly do this stuff. I mean, am I going to go work at target? What am I going to do with myself? And I was really having some soul searching conversations. Like what in the world and it's a little bit daunting, Joe, because I didn't really come up with anything. Thank goodness sports came back because I really didn't come up with anything I was good at. So it was fortunate for me that it came back because I didn't know what else to do. But it's just, it's one of those things that I, 
you know, I, I worked in the small markets. I worked in the, the CBA back in the day, the Continental Basketball Association. I, I called women's basketball. I called men's basketball. I did a talk show for 12 years. I mean, I, I've done a little bit of everything. I've called play-by-play of a rodeo. I've called wrestling. I've, I mean, you name it, I've called it. Rodeo? And rodeo. <laughs> yep, I did a rodeo one time. You know, I was... I was told very early in my career, never say no to anything. So I'm like, yeah, I can do rodeo. Sure. Why not? I, I, uh, spoiler alert. I could not call rodeo. Um, but I, you know, I've called it all. It's just one of those things where it was, you know, it's, it was just a passion. And as often as anybody would let me work it, and that's still the case, I'm going to work. I, I love doing it. It's, it's a, I don't have a lot of hobbies, so it's kind of what I do for fun as well as work. I'm sorry, but they're going to have to fly you back to Fort Worth. They need another rodeo announcer tomorrow. Yeah, uh, <laughs> they've, they've, if they if they have a tape of that, and uh, good Lord willing, that thing doesn't exist anywhere, they will quickly learn that that's not my skill set. <laughs> and by the way, you growing up, uh, you know, being in Omaha with the College World Series right there. I mean, that must have been special. I mean, you you've always got such a, a wonderful uh, traditional championship of baseball in college going on. I mean, Rosenblatt was just magical, really. It, it really was. It was a place where we spent a lot of time, obviously, as kids growing up and watching games and watching Omaha Royals games when they were playing there, too. Uh, that was sort of a staple of summer because Nebraska does not have professional sports teams, you know, like the Bay Area or like New York or wherever. We don't have a, an NFL team. We don't have an NBA team. Major League Baseball is not here. We have minor league ball and college sports. And this was a college area. I mean, the University of Nebraska so dominates. Now, Creighton in Omaha is such a dominant force from an athletic standpoint, but the college world series was always sort of the, the centerpiece of the sports scene. It was the two weeks where Omaha became the, the focal point of the college sports world. And it was always the, the capper to the college sports seasons. You know, you'd get through the college world series and then summer was here. Summer yeah. was here. You'd enjoy your time and then ramp things back up for college football as a fan. And that's how we lived our lives as kids. It was, you know, you'd, the college world series would come, it would signal, the start of summer, even though summer had probably already been going on for three weeks as a kid by that point, you're still, hey, it's summer now. We go to the ball game, we watch some college baseball, we hang out, we have fun, maybe somebody throws us a foul ball, and you know, and then you and then summer's here and you get ready for the fall and you get ready to be a football fan again. So it's just it's it's always been an event. You can't live in Nebraska without being aware of the College World Series. You can't live in Nebraska without thinking, I'd like to be there. It was a very sad day for me, when, and I know for many others, when Rosenblatt was, was shut down and was torn down at the end of the 2010 College World Series. So, you know, I, I miss it still. There was a unique aspect to the College World Series there. The new stadium is by far a much more fan-friendly stadium. But there was just a certain amount of old charm. And that, and you know, and I underline old in that st- statement because there are a lot of people who thought that was the big problem with Rosenblatt. It was too old, but to me, it had a charm to it that that you know is is not easily transferable when you build a new stadium. There's new charms to the College World Series. It's still an amazing event, and if people haven't come to it, they really need to come because it's still an awesome thing to do, and it's even bigger and better than it used to be. But it is just a it's a different event now than it was at Rosenblatt Stadium. Yeah, no, I absolutely loved going there. Kevin, thank you so much for the time. I'll let you get back to your prep, and uh, it's going to be fun to see what happens in the NCAA tournament. Uh, just can't wait to hear more of your calls. Just doing a fantastic job, and uh, hope to see you down the road soon. I, I, I appreciate it, Joe. Good to catch up with you. 
That's Kevin Kugler. He's calling the play-by-play for Westwood One. And as we mentioned, he'll be in Chicago with the Midwest Regional. That's going to do it for the Sports Virus Podcast today. I'm Joe Castellano. We'll be back again next week. Thanks for listening on the Believe Podcast Network. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.